You know, I, um, I really enjoy questions. This may not be new for some of you, uh, but I, I enjoy questions, uh, particularly the ones I know how to answer. Um, those are my favorite kind. Uh, but I also really like questions that make me both like retrospect and introspect that, you know, cause me to dream, that make me creatively imagine. I love those kind of questions. Um, but for me, in recent years, like very recent years, I've been very frustrated with questions. Um, I've been very confused. And to sum up all the questions that I've been having, they've been what and why? And these have been directed to God. And I ask God, what? What am I supposed to do? Why, why is this happening? And I come up empty. And I think I'm not alone in this. I'm sure many of you have had a season, if not you're in it right now, where you're just like, what do you want me to do, God? Why am I in this moment, in this circumstance? What is it that you're calling for me, for my life? And these big life whys and what's, we try to solve them on our own. We try to you know, put our own simple answer on it. We look to other people. But when it comes down to it and we're thinking about them, we also come up very empty. Last week, Nathan and I saw um, this movie called Last Christmas, and I thought it was gonna be like this cute little like Christmas rom-com, like very silly, um, but it, it was very different, in a good way. It was pretty cool. Um, and there's this profound moment of dialogue that I was not expecting, and for whatever reason, no one's quoted it online. I don't know why. Um, so I can't quote it for you right now, but I can tell you what happened. There's two characters, Kate and Tom, and Kate tells Tom, I just want to feel normal. I want to feel solid. I want to have this certainty in life. And this is the profound part. I mean, Tom essentially deconstructs this idea of what normal is. He says, who's normal? What is normal? There's no normal person. And then he also says, maybe... Like, why can't we just be comfortable in the uncertainty? Because nothing in life is certain. So what does this all have to do with God? What does this have to do with us, with Scripture? In our text today in Ecclesiastes, the teacher here who's being quoted talks about this very topic of being uncertain. He writes about how God made everything beautiful and appropriate in its time, and God has put eternity in man's heart, but humanity has no idea where the start is, where the end is, what the details of this grand plan is. Only God knows. So let's explore this together, this certainty that we can have within the uncertainty. And we'll go back to verse 1 and start there. Um, just a note, um, we talked about this before, you may not remember, a couple of years ago, but there's an author of this book, and there's a teacher being quoted by the author. The author, people think it's Solomon because of some clues in scripture, but it's, it's debated. They're not sure. Um, it's written in Hebrew as Koheleth, and Koheleth's actually a title for someone with wisdom. So it could be Solomon. It could be just a very wise man who is very thoughtful about life. 
But for the sake of our time together today as we discuss this, we'll just agree that they're wise men um, that God has spoken through. So verse 1, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. This verse is introducing us to that truth that we talked about with the children earlier, that there's a time for everything on life, in life on this earth. And that's pretty straightforward, right? Like life changes, seasons change, God is in control of everything. That's pretty easy to understand. And this sets us up for this poem that follows through verses two through eight. And it's emphasizing that point in verse one. And something fun to notice is that there are opposites in this poem. I'm sure that struck you as we read this. Um, And the teacher starts off with the beginning of life and the end of life. And everything that follows is everything that goes on in between. A time to be born and a time to die. Then there's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. And just to clarify, God's not contradicting his command not to murder. Um, This is, we have to think of the context, the idea of agriculture, of livestock. So there's a time to heal, there's a time to put out a misery. So back to the opposites, there's a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow. Another contextual note here, this is referring to a Jewish custom of mourning and repentance. When they were in that period of time, they would tear their garments. And when that period of time was over, they would sew it back up. And finally, there's a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So there's nothing revolutionary here. We know these things. We see these things. We live through these things. And the teacher here is just stating these facts of life on earth that there's a season for everything. And by presenting these opposites, there's actually the sense of completion, that this is life, this is the start of it on earth, this is the end of it, there's this completion. Again, after that first line is everything that happens in between, and that's where this uncertainty sets in. This is where we're at, all of us right now. We're in this uncertainty. We know these seasons happen, but the questions of, okay, what am I supposed to do when this happens? When am I supposed to do it? Will I experience some of those joyous things again? Will I experience the pain again? What do I do with them? And the teacher here proceeds to verse 9 with a question of his own. What gain has the worker from his toil? So the teacher just listed all these things for us, and then it's like he takes a step back and he says, what's the point? Why do we bother? He skips all the tiny details. If there's a start and end of everything, what does our work in this life amount to? And then he gives us this because in verse 10, this this reason for why he's asking his question. He says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. This is most likely in reference to the fall, the curse that was placed upon Adam in Genesis 3. Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. 
or the message version, you'll be working in pain all your life. So the teacher poses this question of what's the point of these times in our lives, this busy work? Why do we bother with them? And I want to pause here because, as I said, I'm sure I'm not alone in this. We've wondered these questions in our lives. Maybe in your own life, you're feeling uncertain. And right now, you're asking, why did that time of weeping have to happen to me? Or am I supposed to be silent right now, or am I supposed to speak out? Or what was the point of that broken relationship of that? As a community here, we see this poetic season, description of seasons played out, even in very recent weeks. And we're going to keep praising God and talk about the birth, the miraculous birth of a child in this community. But then we see the seasons to just days later mourn the passing of a beloved member and then another one. Why, God, why now? Can't we just take a moment to laugh, to dance, to heal? On a larger scale, we mourn with Santa Clarita and Saugus High School. Why, God, must there be violence? Why must there be another season of tearing garments when we've just started to sew from the other acts of mass violence? And then here's the punchline that the teacher gives us in verse 11. He, God, has made everything beautiful, or rather appointed in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. The teacher's own answer to his question is, we don't know God's plan. We have his word, of course, we have his promises, his prophecies, but we don't fully know what his plan looks like, every little intricate detail. What our time on this earth, our little sliver of life, what that's going to do and add to the grander picture of his plan, we don't know. And what I appreciate in this text is that though we're not given an answer for our own questions of life, all the specific uncertainties that we may think of, we're given this certainty in God and a tangible way to live. Verse 12 to 13, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. What else can we do? We're going to go mad and, and be filled with anxiety and depression if we stay in the questions of the details, if we stay stuck there. And the teacher offers us this wisdom, be joyful and enjoy your life that has been graciously given to you by God. We must recognize that this is the gift from the one who alone is the master of the plan, the one who is creator, the one who knows all the answers. So let's be thankful and do good with this gift. We may not understand all the in-betweens, but we know that in it, God is allowing us to enjoy. He is calling us to be joyful in him in this time. And we must worship him with everything we have. Verses 14 to 15. 
I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. We've seen this idea played out in movies. Maybe as children, we've even prayed these prayers to God. We've, we've thought that if we can plead our case to God, we can change his mind. We can get our way. We can manipulate. But the scripture is telling us this truth that what God has set in motion is in motion. We can't decide that, God, I don't like this. Can you please change it? We can't do that. When the teacher says to fear God, also that note, he's referring to being reverent of him, to worship him in this life rather than spending it frustratingly trying to manipulate and get our way. Though this life is full of uncertainties, whether it be timing or purpose, we can be certain in who God is and who we, how we're supposed to live in light of him. <clears throat> So I want us to rephrase the, the certainties, thank you, that are given by the teacher and apply it to our lives. First is to remember who is in control. Again, verse 11 smacks us with this truth that God has appointed a time for everything and he knows the grand plan. We do not. We are not in control of the outcome of everything. So why do we presume to try to take so much control of our own lives? Sure, of course, we have free will and we are to be, we will be held accountable for our actions. But we must surrender the role of Lord to the only one who is Lord. How do we do this? We pause and we take time to just sit in God's presence. And we acknowledge in our own words who is Lord of our lives. Another way of phrasing it is confess that he is Lord. Pause and confess. Remember that he's in control. Second, we are to be joyful, to enjoy, to worship God with our lives. It doesn't do us any good to be constantly living in worry in being in this cynicism, in living in the past or trying to be constantly busy and never take time to pause. Let's be joyful and enjoy knowing that this is a gracious gift from God. We must avoid the temptation to be lazy, avoid the temptation to have a never-ending schedule, and really enjoy the life that has been given to us and worship him with it. And we know how to do this. We just talked about it earlier. We can worship with our whole lives by offering to God every single aspect of it first. With our time, our money, our talents, our relationships, and so on. Even in the hard seasons, we can still worship and show gratitude to the Lord because he's there and he sees us. Which leads me to my final application, that we should live lives that display freedom and a trust in Christ. 
We go through so many different things, so many different seasons. We don't know which one will come next. We try to figure it out, but we can't. And as we remember that God is in control, and as we worship joyfully, we can live into this freedom that Christ has already offered to us. Again, our life is so small in the grander scheme of things. And it sounds bleak. And it should be a reality check for all of us. But in that, there's still the good news and the hope that we have in Jesus, even with this daunting reminder. Because the truth is that God still sees you in your different seasons. Even if you feel alone, if you feel caught up, confused, God is still there and he sees you. He loves you. And your life matters to him, even if it's a speck on the longer timeline. He loves us so much that though we've sinned, though we've tried to manipulate the system of life, and we will probably try again, even though we just try to be control in control and forget that this life doesn't revolve around us alone, God still sent his son. He came to earth, humbled himself, and took our place on the cross so that we may even be able to approach him, let alone to live with him forever. We must trust in his grace and not spend the freedom that we have been given by Christ bound in our own desires, our own concerns, or the societal standards. Life is so uncertain, but we can rest in the certainty that God is in control, that he desires for us to be joyful, to enjoy this gift of life he's given us. How amazing. And he invites us to live our lives in full trust of who he is. So with that, would you bow your heads with me? And let's give thanks to the one who is in control. Jesus, you are so amazing. We cannot even fathom just how big, how great you are. And we're given this tiny reminder even today in service through your word, through these testimonies of the missions going on around the world, that God, you are, you are so grand and doing so much. So Lord, with all of that, would you help us to just humble ourselves, to pause and to confess that you alone are God. Would you help us, Lord, to be able to enjoy this life, even when times get hard, because we know this is a gift given by you. Lord, would you help us to live into full trust that you are present, that you are in control, that you have a plan beyond our own imaginations. And would you help us to live into the freedom that you have gifted to us, Lord, and allow us to really live into that so that we can follow your call to know you more so deeply and to make you known to others. Jesus, we thank you. We praise your name, and we love you. And all these things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ.
Amen.